welcome to a night of total terror. Welcome to the Undead Wookiee Podcast. I am your host, Hugh Lloyd, and this is episode 19, Donnie Darko. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror, sci-fi, but we will dip into other genres on occasions because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. And before I introduce my co-host for this episode, let's take a look at the trailer for Donnie Darko. It was as though this plan had been with him all his life, pondered through the seasons. Now, in his 15th year, crystallized with the pain of puberty. So, why'd you move here? My mom had to get a restraining order against my stepdad. He has emotional problems. Oh, I have those two. What kind of emotional problems does your dad have? I met a new friend. Real or imaginary? You're tough, Tony. Imaginary. I'm going to tell you a little story today about a young man whose life was completely destroyed by these instruments of fear. I haven't seen stuff. Donnie is experiencing what is commonly called a daylight hallucination. I have to obey him. He saved my life. Have you ever seen a portal? Has he ever told you about his friend Frank, the giant bunny rabbit? The what? Every living thing follows along set path. And if you could see your path or channel, then you could see into the future, right? I'm not going to be able to continue this conversation. Don't worry. You got away with it. What is going to happen? I only have a few days left before they catch me. We're just going to stop. You should already know that. And once again, I am joined by the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller, the Sultan of Swing, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend. I suppose two in a row now for you, Mr. Leighton Winston. Two in a row indeed, mate. And I'd like to think myself the the, the, the king prawn of the cocktail as well. (laughs) (laughs) Added to the Mary Rose sauce that is the undead Wookiee. Yes, yes, with a little garnish on the side, shall we say. Yes, I've never been a fan of garnish. It just takes up oh. space. 
<laughs> oh, I've got to have a bit of garnish. You've got to have a little bit, bit of shrubbery on your plate. Here, so. <laughs> Do you know my other pet peeve, and I know we're already going off track before we get started, is <laughs> when they give you like stupid things to eat off, like slate. Oh. Just give me a plate. Oh, that... Give me a round plate. <laughs> That's all I want. <laughs> or little um, uh, fryer. Little fryer baskets. Oh, it's just, come on. It's, it's, <laughs> why, why? Why are you doing this to me? I went, we, went there, this is, we stopped off this one time to eat somewhere, and they brought me this, like, uh, my dessert on, um, and it was like ice cream, but they brought it to me on a piece of genuine slate. Now, I was either going to chop my own face off trying to eat, you know, eat off slate, <laughs> And like this ice cream is rolling. It was just it, why? Why do that? Anyway. Uh, it's all it's all about presentation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So on to our feature presentation. On to our feature presentation. Look at look at that. Look at that segue. Segue. What a segue. Yes. <laughs> we are talking 2001's Donnie Darko. We are. And we not are. the director's cut. Uh, no, no, ho, ho, ho. We'll, we'll we'll touch on the director's cut because I yeah, we'll touch on that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, Donnie Darko was uh, directed by Mr. Richard Kelly. Um, yes. It was written by Richard Kelly. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Gina Malone, uh, Drew Barrymore, who I forgot was in it. I forgot she Drew was Bar- in it. Drew Barrymore plays a huge part in the history of Donnie Darko, which we will elaborate on. Okay. We've got Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, we have. Mary McDonnell, who I thought was really, really good in this. I thought yep. she was really good in this. Um, yes. Mary McDonald, uh, Catherine Ross, uh, Patrick Swayze, and Noah Wiley, yeah. who, yeah. i got to be honest, he's kind of grown on me in the last couple of years. I mean, when he was in ER, I did want to punch him in the throat every time he came on screen. But... I, think, I, I, I do think that was the whole point of his character in ER, because he, saw, he started out in such a way and developed... To become something else entirely. Um, I tell you, we've missed out is who I class as the unsung hero of this film is Holmes Osborne. Yes, Andy I was just Darko. coming on to him. I was just—he's absolutely brilliant in it. Yeah, yeah, he's—he's um, he's such a good guy in this film. He's—he's he's rooting, rooting for his children. Um, he laughs at all the most inappropriate things that come up to the film. And he's clearly, clearly a very loving father. And um, no, he's brilliant. He's genuinely, genuinely brilliant in this. Now, there's really, another really person good. who pops up in this film in a much smaller role um, who has gone on to sort of superstardom, should it be? Are we? Yeah. Hey, yeah Mr. The, Seth, Seth Rogen. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't say three words, I don't think, in this film. No. Um, no. He's no. like um, he's like um, Goyle in the Harry Potter films. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the lumbering presence in the background, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, but giving uh, it a good sneer. But there's a brilliant uh, bit of trivia as well about this: is that when Jake Gyllenhaal and Seth Rogen were talking in like the aftershoot party for this film, they both realised they didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. A lot of people watch this film, isn't it? Let's be honest. I, I mean, I got to be honest. I the first time I saw this film, I sort of kind of went, eh, eh, eh. but watching it again, I did get far more out of it, and 
I enjoyed it far more second time round. Um, I still hate the director's cut, though. It's just—it's oh. a meandering mess. Um, I, th- I I understand why he wanted to do it. Um, second time around, he had more um, more of a budget to play with because the film uh, cost four and a half million quid. It yeah. only made seven point three worldwide, which is crazy, which is, which is catastrophic if you're in the film industry, and you know you have certain stars, for want of a better word, in your film. Yeah, um, Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal at the time was very, very much up and coming. Um, Drew Barrymore established. Um, yeah. Maggie, Maggie Gyllenhaal up and coming. Um, well, you had the you Sways. Know, you had the Sways. Who at this time he was going through a bit of a um, a, a bit of a lull. Um, yeah. So you know he, he wasn't box office, was he? But you know, um, I th- I think. A lot of this has to do with the, the time that it was released as well, because yeah. it was released. Um, is it just post nine um, eleven? Well, it's sort of, and yeah. I mean, it it, it premiered in um, January nineteenth in Sundance in yeah. two thousand and one. Yeah, and I think um, it, with with any sort of film that gets shown at these film festivals, primarily they they not necessarily have the distribution. Um, that they need to get out there. At. Yeah, they yeah. may have made the film, but the thing is, there's no sort of backing behind them to get them out there and amongst the masses and released into cinema chains. So I think there was a delay in that um, because, truthfully, how would you sell this film, isn't it? Because it's yeah. it's 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 one of many things, and I think when it did finally get released, I think it because of the mention of a plane involved in it and an accident, and I think. That sort of might might have had um, I'm not saying it's directly affected, but a detrimental result as as to the impact of the film initially coming out. I think it's taken, and this is probably true of a lot of films of the DVD era. Um, this coming onto DVD to sort of gain its own life, isn't it? Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. And you know, and a lot of people sort of look back on it now and say one or two things: that is a piece of genius. What the fuck happened? Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, it it you know the going back to the the box office is is this incredible. You know that to see such such an original film that isn't technically original. No, um, no, no. And you know it doesn't it doesn't dictate to you where films. A lot of people when they watch films, they like to be dictated to. This is happening. You are watching. Yeah. This well, makes you think, doesn't it? Well, it does make you think, and it it sort of. It po- it leaves you with far more questions at the end of it than it does answers, yeah. um, and I think I know Richard Kelly is. He, I think he's kind of marmite, isn't he? As a filmmaker, well, and yeah. I mean, he's he's kind of killed his own career in a lot of ways, um, and I mean, he's a big friends with Kevin Smith, and Kevin Smith, um, who rates him as you know thinks that he's possible and he may, he makes he rates him as like this as, as the sort of wonderkinden of, of cinema and thinks that he is this sort of he's this unsung hero um and he makes a re- he makes a really really interesting point he say, he compares him to Christopher Nolan um and in some ways he sort of says well Christopher Nolan ended up with the studio backing him which allowed him to make um, sort of bigger arty films like Inception, yeah. um, and 
you know, the prestige and those type of things. Whereas Richard Kelly sort of ended up being sort of almost ostracized in, in a number of ways. But when you look at Southland Tales, have you seen that? Yeah, no. Oh, oh, oh God. There, there, there's a good film begging to be released in Southland Tales. Um, really? <laughs> yeah. I, I, when I, I first watched it, I thought there are parts in it that are really, really good. It's been a very long time since I watched it, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, and I thought there are parts in it, and I thought, why are you doing that to yourself? It's, um, it's obvious that he had a bigger budget. He had more toys to play with. Um, I know that a film with two Sean William Scotts in it isn't going to be any better than with one Sean William Scott in it. Um, <laughs> what, what are you trying but, to say? What are you trying to say? <laughs> You're trying to say that to the say... Stifler it, it, it has one character? <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that... <laughs> Donnie Dark and the director's cut has got better sound in it. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> and he can pay for the songs he wanted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, but no, Southland's Tales, um, it's just a mess, isn't it? Oh, it's, where does, yes. where, where does, yeah, where does, where does Donnie Dark go? I see a cohesive whole, although it takes a couple of times to sort of get it. Southland's Tales is too many ideas trying to ram into one place at the same time, and it just doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, it's. I don't think anybody really came out of that film, with the exception of The Rock, who managed, you know, managed to sort of come out of it sort of smelling of roses, as he pretty much does in, you know, because let's be fair, he's done some shit. And, you know, he, oh, he God, still yeah. manages to come out, you know, as The Rock. Yeah. Yeah, and you know we've attested to this that he is the biggest box office star in the world at the moment. Yeah, despite despite being in, as you say, some at the tosh. Um, I mean, Scorpion but, King. Oof. Look, if the CGI at the end of the Mummy's Returns <laughs> was an indicator about anything to do with the Scorpion King, then you just didn't learn the lesson to do. Let's be honest, no. right? No. Oh, it's terrible CGI. Oh it my is. God, it's ILM did that. The, the pioneers of CGI did that scorpion thing at the end of the Mummy's Returns. You know oh what happened, God. didn't you? You know what clearly happened. They sort of went, um, we're running out of time. What do you want to do? How do you, how do you want to do it? Well, I, um, I've i got some stuff left over from some like PS1 one game I was doing. <laughs> do you want to chuck that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Go, 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 go. Yeah. And everybody sat around and went, uh, yeah. If the film's out tomorrow, if we can't print, <laughs> yeah, go on, then let it go, let it go. But anyway, we digress again. Yes. <laughs> anyway, Donnie Darko, Donnie fucking Darko, Donnie fucking Darko. Now, in terms of trying to give it some kind of plot summary, I mean, it is just you know, I think it's far. I think you, it's one of those things where you just need to go and watch it um because i don't think yeah. you can, i mean you could summarize it in a certain way is that you have a young man who is clearly going through um some kind of um emotional uh, issues shall we say and yes. he is suddenly visited by a giant rabbit following an incident where part of a plane has fallen through the ceiling of his bedroom yes Right. Yes, 
And that 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 is almost my my notes exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it is genuinely almost my ex notes actually. However, um, I've got a theory which I'm going to explain later because we'll have to establish on later. Yeah. However, one thing, um, and if you haven't seen the film and you listen to this, stop listening, watch the film, come back. I don't think it really matters on this one. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you haven't seen the film, watch it. Watch it again. Don't watch the director's cut. And then no, watch it away. again. <laughs> yeah, this is the disclaimer. On behalf of the Undead Wookiee um, and all subsidiaries, stay away from the director's cut. Step away from the director's cut. Ah, I can see you. Put it away. <laughs> that, where, where, yeah, that's it. Good, good. Right. Um, yeah. So, basically, Donnie has, as you said, his emotional issues. This isn't teenage angst. Far no, from it. No, no. Um, if we go back to the cast, Jake Gyllenhaal. This is Jake Gyllenhaal's best film. And I include the tremendous Nightcrawler, where he plays yeah. Louis Bloom. Yeah. The, um, the ambulance chaser, for want of a better word, trying to get that new story at all costs. Yeah. He's a... Astonishing in Nightcrawler. He's a different, different person. It's he's almost terrifying. He's terrifying beyond belief. He's almost Travis Bickle terrifying. Yeah. In Nightcrawler. Yeah. How, yeah. However, when you see Donnie Darko and you see, he must have been about what twenty when this was made. Perhaps, I think. 19, yeah. 20? Yeah. I don't, I don't think he's far. Twenty twenty one. Um, is his depth and range even on little facial movements. Is, is incredible. You, you invest in him, and I think um, when the film is based around you, that's hugely important. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, is. To, it is. Not trying to tell, tell people to suck eggs here, but um, you have to invest in your main character, and Jake Gyllenhaal is, is astonishing. There's um, the scene um, where he's with his, his therapist, um, and they're talking about um, let me get, let me get, let me get. Um, he talks about uh, finding Roberto, uh, not just to jump too far ahead but this is a film about time travel so I can jump ahead if I want um, when he finds Roberto, Roberto or he's given Roberto Sparrow's book and he goes yes. to the therapist and he says but he's explaining it to his therapist and um, he says that what Grandma Death has said to him yeah. um, about you know everything dies at the end or everybody dies everybody dies alone turns, everybody dies alone and he says I don't want to die alone and his face as he says those words literally changes he goes from being you know a kid expressing his uh, emotions his feelings what he what he's seen what he knows and his face changes and when his face changes i thought to myself my god this kid is you know you you invested for him you feel sorry for him you can see he struggles with matters however fundamentally he just doesn't want to be on his alone yeah. uh, be alone he doesn't want to be alone yeah. um the thought of being alone terrifies him and it scares him and um yeah, he goes through his, his, his uh, you know, the, the um, oh, I've got emotional issues. You've got emotional issues? Well, let me tell you about my emotional yeah, issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know it's, it's honesty, isn't it? And it's yeah, honesty and, it, it, and to be honest with you, you know, doing the job that I do, I do come across, <laughs> there, there were moments uh, in this where you recognise a lot of behaviours in, uh, in Donnie that you see in a lot of young people who are really struggling with their mental health. And... Yeah. You know, it, but also what I love about it is, and it's and what felt very very real was that he was able to keep the humour. Yes, because and... this could have quite easily slipped over into 
emo territory, yeah. couldn't it? It could have been, oh, you know, edgelord, you know, edgelord kind of sort of uh, fringe over the face. Yeah, um, it could have been Spider-Man 3, Tommy Maguire, couldn't it? Oh. Nobody, nobody wants to go Spider-Man 3, Tobey Maguire Nobody wants to do that As great an actor as he is Sam Raimi lost the plot Sorry, there we are But did you, you know, did you hear the gun You know, the cocking of the gun during Spider-Man 3 The (laughs) This is your career, Toby (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um and we come back to Sam Raimi, actually, because Sam Raimi has a part to play in Donnie Darko. He does yeah. indeed. Um, but yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal, he's just, uh, you know, yeah, he, he, he is the main character, but he's he's absolutely tremendous in it. Yeah. And, you know, it, you know, to be like almost in like that constant dreamy state that he appears to be in, even when you see shots of him just walking down a corridor yeah. or walking along a street, you know, there are things ongoing, but you know, even a little smile makes you makes you want to smile, you know, yeah. because you know it's it's um, understanding and realization, and you know, even the first shot of the film, um, where he's you know he's obviously been sleep well, in this case sleep biking, and he wakes <laughs> up on the side of the mountain, right, and that shot he's just looking over the valley and he just turns backwards, so sort of looks over his shoulder. And grins to himself. Now you don't even know what he's thinking. I don't know what he's thinking. No. You don't know what he's thinking. No. The only person who knows is Jake Gyllenhaal and Richard Kelly. But even in that shot, you're like, "All right, I want to see what you do." Isn't it? You know. Well, the other bit, the other favorite one uh, moment I love is when he wakes up on the golf course. <laughs> you sleep really... golfing, son. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really like that bit. It's just a ridiculous, yeah. but it's his reaction as well. It's yeah. a very real reaction. No. Yeah. This is the question, because we said you can read this film in a number of different ways, right? Yeah. Now, is it is it science fiction? Is it it is it some kind of psychosis, mm-hmm. or is it a dream? Right. It is science fiction. Okay. It is science fiction because. Um, they speak quite matter of fact about time travel and the theories behind it and the execution of. Yeah. However, however, this is my theory, right? Okay. When the engine crashes during Donnie's first, uh, what we see is his first sleepwalk. Yeah. This triggers the events through the film. In that moment, Donnie himself, and I think... Um, nobody else realizes that Donnie should have died when the engine crashed. Okay, right. As a result of him surviving, others suffer or die, whether rightly or wrongly. Okay. If you think about it, Donnie surviving means that Frank is killed. Yeah. Gretchen gets killed. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Cunningham gets caught. Yeah. If Donnie dies, now that happens, rightly or wrongly. Yeah. So do you go back to equating one life for three or three for one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the, it also it kind of fits in, doesn't it, with the classic sort of, um, you know, the chaos theory, doesn't it? The butterfly flap his wing, you know, it, it all does. that kind of thing. It does. But then, yeah. so, we're just, you know, so subscribe into what they call the primary universe. Yeah. 
And then you've got the tangent universe, which is the universe that's created by, you know, which is like almost the a parallel, a parallel, uni- parallel, a parallel universe that's created by the event. Yes. And then which buys then into the idea of philosophy of time travel. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, what Donnie Darko shows you is when he doesn't die, it shows you what happens as a consequence whilst that plane is still travelling through the air and that engine is still going to fall. It shows what happens. Going back to the moment yeah. where Donnie Darko must die. Right. Okay. So you've got, that, you've, got that, you've got that wormhole still going around whilst Donnie is still living his life having survived an airplane crash, basically, or, you know, the engine falling. Yeah. But it still has to come to the point where Donnie dies in order for things to happen. Yeah. I mean, so when you kind of sort of look at it, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm kind of reading off my notes here because it's 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 a difficult one to sort of wrap your head around. So if we yeah. sort of, so if we read the film then as like a science fiction, and yeah. Donnie dies, and he is like he's almost the he's almost the hero saving the world. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, if you know, and then if it's a psychosis, right? Um, you, it, it's it kind of makes it a far darker film. Yes, and you know, let's, let's be perfectly honest now. Frank, as an image itself, is really quite intimidating, isn't yeah. it? You know, I, I you know, <laughs> it's, it's it's like the, the evil Easter Bunny, isn't it? But oh yeah, yeah, it's still. Um, it's still a striking image, isn't it? You know, because you know the film is set around Halloween, isn't it? You know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it, yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, if that is, if if his psychosis is manifesting physically, where he can actually f- see something that isn't there, then yes, it's psychological, isn't it? You know, yes. Um, there are moments of it that are unsettling, that are creepy, you know, and therefore, does it become a horror film? Well, I think it it sort of it's, and I think that's why um, when people see it, it splits. Yeah, it splits audiences because you can't. You know, we like we like to categorize films. Yes, Do you know what I mean. We like, and we like even subgenres. Do you know what I mean? We can say, well, this yeah. is horror, but it's you know, but within the horror genre, this is a zombie survival horror. We can even split it down and say this is horror non-exploitation. Um, <laughs> and it is a real genre. Non-exploitation yeah, yeah. is a real I, genre. If anybody's going to know, it's you going to know about non-exploitation, isn't it? <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. We won't go into non-exploitation now. No, it's um, not. It's not. It's not. Because that takes you to some dark places. Um, <laughs> you know, but no, yeah. I, and is it, 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 is it drama? Is it teeny? Is it, it's got all these things just thrown in it? Yeah and, yeah, and that can yeah. make it quite difficult. Yeah, like you say, people want a teen drama. They want a John Hughes film. Yeah. Because there's a lot, you know, a film set in the 1980s uh, has to have certain homages to things occurring during that time, which this film has a lot of. Yeah. Um, there's uh, visual references to other 1980s films. Yeah. Um you know that um, Stephen King's it is quite prominent at the beginning. Yeah, well, see. I mean, again, that in itself is quite, fort- you know, is almost foreshadowing in the film, isn't it? You know, it's that sort of 
nothing is quite what it's... I mean, it's almost like yeah. you could even sort of... You can compare lots of this and to, like, uh, Back to the Future. Yeah. You can yeah. you, you can compare it to Twin Peaks. Um, there's a touch of... Um, I want to there say American a... Beauty. There's there's moments in it are like American Beauty, and you know, and of course, with the giant bunny, you've got Harvey. Yeah. Yes. No. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Harvey because I was <laughs> going to mention Harvey. But yeah, you, you've said about Twin Peaks. I think perhaps what you're actually alluding to was Blue Velvet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's that underbelly, isn't it? Of yeah. it's a very you know, you've Russian got... thing, isn't it? Of the underbelly yeah, of, of, of Americana. Exactly, exactly. You know, not everything is perfect behind the white picket fence, is it? Yeah, to be honest. yeah, 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 yeah. And um, yeah, and this is the thing. And like going back to the, the Stephen King reference, um, the part I didn't realize this until um, I listened to the audio commentary on the film. Um, when um, Donnie calls his mother a bitch and she goes and tells um, Eddie Darko when he's yeah. lying in bed, he's reading a book. Yeah, the book he's, his book he's reading was a first edition of the Tommy Knockers. Nice. But a member of the crew stole the cover because they wanted the cover. So you can't <laughs> see that the book is actually the Tommy Knockers. And Richard Kelly's like on the commentary going, I was really fucking pissed off for that. <laughs> nobody, no, nobody would admit to stealing the cover like of a first edition. But, I, well, but yeah, um, I think it's me personally, you know, and this is, the, this is the brilliant thing about Donnie Darko is that everybody's got their own interpretation. Yeah. Um, I think it's a sci fi teen drama it's not a thriller it's a drama um that speaks about a volume of things in its own particular way which i think is the only way you could describe it really because um if you were going to try and put it into a category you'd struggle yeah i think predominantly i think predominantly it it's it is sci-fi because of the concept um but it's it's so much more. Yeah, well, it I mean, so I'm gonna, much more. I'm going to use a word now, and just so that my, you know, just just so the people who are listening and, and you know and watching, um, I'll just make you aware. I will kick my own ass later on for using this word, um, but it is very, very existential. It, you know, it <sighs> it, it has those. It, it it has that sort of. I mean. It, it sort of it touches on so many things, and it you know is it you know is it dream? Is it psychosis? Is it sci-fi? Is it all of these things? I mean, you could sort of you know it's that sort of. I, I know what you're saying. I do know what you're saying. You're trying to allude to at least, but um, dare I say it would be remiss to even categorize. Yeah, well, I think I think that's fair enough. I think that's fair enough. <coughs> But like you know, yeah, we've I, we've got that idea that it's sort of you know there, there are two possibilities. So you've got you've got you got the sci-fi. You've got the fact that you know is he schizophrenic? Is he having yeah. an episode? Um, I do think is you know as as good as his um, you know his uh, his therapist is in this, she does fall in line with the the, the, the sort of cinematic convention of the useless therapist. You know. <laughs> <laughs> because right. here's a topic screen therapists yeah which are the good ones and which are the bad ones <laughs> i don't think there's a single good one because at any point during any film if your client right is showing signs of this amount of you know deep level psychosis you need to stop the session and call in the men in the white coats because he's going <laughs> to hurt himself awesome it's like split God, I, I haven't seen split 
I haven't seen Split. I hate Don't Split. Don't say a thing. I hate Split. Right. Right. But the, the, the ther- I won't go into any details in there. Next time we, we'll talk about Split again because I hate Split. Right. Um, I want to watch Split, so don't. I don't want to know nothing. I want to know nothing. Yeah, the, the therapist in there very much falls into the useless therapist sort of. <laughs> Do you know you've got me thinking now about good therapists in film and TV, right? They, and and then they, to... break, they break so many rules. <laughs> I'm, not, right, I'm sorry, right? And, and then I know some people say it's a film. Let it go. I can't, yeah. you know, because. <laughs> I do a job that's very much governed by certain rules. And if you don't do your job properly, the outcomes are, you know, the best outcome is you get sacked, right? Yeah. You don't follow the rules in certain areas. Somebody gets hurt or you go to prison. Do you know? <laughs> and yet yeah. these, these therapists, that, and you know, people start, you know, divulging, you know, I'm, you know, I've chopped somebody up whilst wearing my sister's dress. And they go, hmm, how does that make you feel? Or they get a phone I'm call, a... and then they go, I know. I'll just go visit them at home. No! Yeah, no, no. Bad idea. Bad idea. Uh, Dr. Malfi from The Sopranos, she's a good therapist. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we'd have to start thinking about it. We, yeah. See, we, we do this every yeah. time. I start thinking about other things, man. <laughs> now, obviously, the other thing as well, that the, the one interpretation of it is that it could be, is it a dream? Um, no. I, I I don't buy into that at all. I'm afraid it's um, Donny should have died. He's avoided death by whatever means. The film continues, but still that parallel is coming back round, and he must ultimately die. That yeah. is my. Uh, it's not a dream. It's not a dream. It's I know dream, uh, dreams and dreamscapes and you know thought process and into into such matters. You know define what happens if. If it was a dream state, I think it, I think it would have been a little bit more spectacular. You know, the the nods to you know um, powers. Well, he get he gets superhuman strength, doesn't he? You know that you can put yeah. down to his um, his obvious um, mental illnesses because you know people do you know in in their states they can produce oh you, you know don't get me wrong strength and things having like that you know been on the receiving end of somebody having um, a psychotic episode. Um, yeah. their um, their level, their 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 strength levels do go through the roof. Yeah, um, yeah, and and you know it, it's it, 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 the film makes mention more than once. You know about um, superheroes, doesn't it? It's yeah. dropped in once or twice. Like you know, it's like the classic line in there. You know, Donnie Darko sounds like a superhero. What makes you think I'm not? You know, and. Yeah, um, I've always loved that line of the film. I think yeah. it's brilliant. I think and, you know. Go, no, sorry, go on, go on. No, I was just going to say that. No, I, I, I think it, 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 it doesn't. It's not a dream because if I think if if it was a, a dream, then he'd, I think you would see, um, dare I say it, Tony flying or something yeah. daft like I that. Think, you know, for me, I think it's a combination of it is a sci-fi film, but also I think, um. Donnie is very much an, uh, somebody who is suffering with mental illness now. Yeah. And I think lots of, you know, and there's, and there's lots of people will talk about um, sort of altered states of mind that make you more susceptible to things out there. And I think what Donnie is, is he is, you know, he's essentially, he's a teenage boy who in his life, he's kind of, and 
like when he talks about not being, you know, not wanting to die alone, he's sort of really, for the first time, he's encountering a world that's fairly cruel. And I think he finds it completely overwhelming. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's sort of, you know, and then it comes into that idea then, isn't it, of, and whether he's acting on it consciously or subconsciously, it kind of acts into like, you know, the idea that he martyrs himself at the end is that self-sacrifice, you know, um, and it sort of gives him that sort of, I don't know, sort of, it sort of tran- it, it sort of bridges that sort of sort of coming of age sort of anxiety yeah. type stuff. Yeah, but um, it's it, the thing is with this film, you could go on and on and on about this, about that, good new, and yeah. you know, and ultimately, do you know? We, oh, excuse me, how rude. <laughs> <laughs> Better than sneaking it out in other ways. <laughs> um, it, 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 you know, it's like it's, it's, I don't know whether you're aware of this, but Donnie's medication, um, he's not, he's well, actually on placebo. Yeah, he's not on. And again, it goes back to the idea of you know the incompetent therapist because if you know, medicate him, please. Yeah, yeah, and it's like. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the kid's clearly ill, like, you know. Yeah. And it's it's just it's crazy that, you know, this kid who's seriously got these issues, who has confessed to burning down a school, or, like, <laughs> burning down a house, or flooding a school, or, you know, um, burning somebody's house down, you know. That, yeah. So, yes, she does make the phone call to the parents when the parents are out of town, unbeknownst to her, and leaves an answer for a message, look, I need to speak to you urgently, I've got these concerns. Um, I would have done that myself, personally, Straight after the session, not waited perhaps a well, day or three to get back to the parents, isn't well, it? Well, you know, the, the and this is and again, this is this is this is my personal preference because you know, um, part of my job is you know I do I I'm a child protection officer, so I deal with all these type of things, and yeah. I'm very much governed by you know if some you know you, you, you know there's that idea that you know it becomes a child protection issue if the child and when I say child, I'm talking about teenagers up until they're eighteen because they're still children. Um, yes. is that, you know, are they going to hurt themselves? Are they going to yeah. hurt anybody else? Are they going to commit a crime? Um, yeah. You know, and those, those you know, in terms of, like, the tariff for, A, phoning the police, B, phoning parents, you know, or, you know, in, at the very informing social services, that, it, it kind of ticks all the boxes within his first session. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, it's... Um... Again, you know, this this film raises more questions than it ultimately answers. Um, but yeah, it's it's sci-fi. Let's, yeah, 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 completely, completely. It's it's, it's a sci-fi teen drama um, with giant rabbits, not called Harvey. No, but um, yeah, but you know, the actual making the um, the actual making of this film, they made it in twenty eight days. Which it's incredible, you know. That's, it, a, you know, that's a yeah, very, yeah. very fast, fast shoot. Yeah, and they did what a lot of um, what they known, what is known is um, block shooting. So basically, if you if you've got um, a shot of the family around the table, um, say three or four times throughout your film, um, they actually shot them um, one after each other, after each other, you know, with different camera setups and whatever. But you know, say they, they, in the film, it may be like a week apart or like seven days apart. A week or seven days? What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> what a penis! <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, 
what a dick. Uh, <laughs> we need more coffee. Stat. Yeah, yeah. Fresh pot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like you'd have the, the the opening sequence where they sat around the table and um, um, Elizabeth says, I'm voting to carcass. You know, and yeah. you know that goes from there. Then you get the immortal line: um, "He's such a fuck ass." Yeah, um, <laughs> we must come back to the humour in this film because some of it is brilliant. There are, um, and, and that's that's the one thing that I got more second time round. Oh, that's... this is yeah, but yeah, they 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 they, they like block shooting, so they shot the first scene, and then like you know, after they got what they thought they needed, they shot the later scene later in the film. Um, yeah. You know, and just change the clothing and change the food and refill the wine glasses and you know f- refill the squash and whatever. And um, it, it's you know, so like the, sh- the shots in the school, they did a lot of block shooting in that. Um, the, 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 the film is shot over twenty eight days, which is mental because the tagline is twenty eight days, six hours, forty two minutes, and twelve yeah. seconds. That's when the world ends. Now, whether that was intended, ironic, otherwise, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, for a film to sort of be shot, made, and turned around in that period, um, it doesn't happen. It really doesn't happen. Um, you know, productions tend to be drawn out, long drawn out. Um, like, I, like you made a short film yourself, didn't you? And, yeah. and that that took. You know, how long did it take you? I mean, like it, like an absolute clown. Um, I thought, oh, you know, I'll just do everything in pretty much one, and it just it took, you know, I did as much filming as I possibly could because I had only had equipment yeah. for like a certain amount of days, so yeah. I crammed it all in there and nearly killed myself doing it. Um, yeah. But then it took me months and months and months and months and months to put it all together, and you know, in terms yeah. of shooting and organizing, yeah. it, like that that took weeks and weeks. So you know, and, 20... that, and that that's one person. Yeah. So you're thinking about you're thinking about a, a, a crew like invariably dependent on the size of the film. The crew, you, you cast and crew. Your cast is pretty much at a minimum of like fifteen people. Yeah. You know, and then you got your crew on top of that. That's like what twenty to thirty people on yeah. a small film, yeah. perhaps. Then you've got the people outside of that. You know, so to think, you know, you've got all those people. You've got to be in charge of all of that and get it going all at the same time, all working together, all singing off the same engine, and it's a that's crazy yeah especially especially when you consider that you know let's say for example the average shit michael bay film has probably got (laughs) cast and crew of hundreds and hundreds of people and none of them can make a good film i mean uh, what's that about somebody went i spoke to somebody who went to see the new transformers film and um their summation of it was it was very loud (laughs) <laughs> I think that was my initial response to the very first one when I went. I actually went to the cinema and saw that, and I came out there with a with a headache. Yeah, at the sheer volume and destruction on screen. You know, the film, the first one, isn't bad. It isn't bad. No, it's okay. It's okay. It, you know, it, yeah, it just sort of bruised my childhood. Um, yeah, whereas the rest of them have sort of t- t- you know ripped my inner child out and threw him on the bonfire. Uh, it's just what. What's the one with the pyramids and the, the, the robot climbing up where they've got a pair of metal bollocks hanging down? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I completely, I completely checked out with that film after this, about uh, 30 minutes into the second one. Terrible, 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 terrible. Anyway, let's get back to it. Um, do you know the first scene at the school? Yes. Um, the back at the back of the school bus. Yes. At an angle, swings around and 
basically introduces the rest of the characters. Yes, it? it does. Yeah, every every prominent character is in that school corridor, in that that playground, at a particular point. That 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 whole sequence is absolutely fascinating to me because it starts off at at a skewy angle, straightens itself up, speeds up, slows down, stops off. Um, you see the new girl in school, you see the factions, you know, the, the school bullies, the jocks yeah. passing by, um, you see the, um, the the clubs, uh, you know, like the yeah. dance group, um, you see the loners, you know, in Chirita, you know. Yeah. Uh, I love Chirita, by the way. I think she's brilliant. <laughs> I heard that, heard, heard, heard dance sequence is absolutely... <laughs> You're laughing at it now, right? I think it's a beautiful shot. Do you know why I'm laughing at it? Because this is the other thing as well. There are elements to this, um, to Donnie Darko, which being a teacher and working in education are very, very real. There are, and and I, you know, without going into too many details, (laughs) that dance, her, her interpretive dance. Um, let's say it's been witnessed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you know what okay. I mean? And there are so yeah. many things. I like like the girls' dance group. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. I love the fact yeah. that when that when they are they're at their big competition, then you know some of them are slightly out of step. Yes. Yeah. Well, Richard Kelly. <laughs> they shouldn't laugh. This is this really quite bad. He had to fire two kids that they'd taken on who were part of Sparkle Motion, right? Because <laughs> they couldn't dance, right? Brilliant. And he Brilliant. and he said he said it was the worst day of my life. He said, We were making this film, you know, little budget. Uh we shoot in we're doing this, we're doing that. <laughs> he said <laughs> I had to fire two children for my film because they were crap. <laughs> <laughs> he said, for a dance troupe, they couldn't dance. Yeah. And he said, I had to get rid of them. He said, it was the worst day of filming in my life. He said, it was terrible. And I was thinking, Jesus Christ, did you see the other two dancing? But they're, just, they're, like, they're terrible. Actually, speak, speaking about Sparkle Motion. That's a brilliant dance, name. That yeah, is a brilliant, brilliant name. There is one of the best one-liners in the film relates to Sparkle Motion. But do you know the actual sequence in the school where they're actually dancing? Yes. Um, you see Drew Barrymore like trying to act all cool and aloof and everything. Yeah. She actually gives way and starts dancing a little bit yeah. to it, you know, yeah. giving it yeah, a yeah. shoulder shuffle. Yeah. They're not they're not actually dancing to Notorious by Duran Duran. Right. They were actually dancing to West End Girls by the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> But they, this is this is this is where this is why I think he did direct the director's cut. He yeah. wanted certain songs, he just couldn't get them for love no money. Well, because yeah. he had no money. Yeah. But um, the licensing just it wouldn't happen. No, right? And oh, I think <laughs> it's mental how you think these things when you watch a film back, and it's like with the director's cut. At the beginning, you've got the Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunny Men. Yes, the yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, you simply can't imagine that film any other way than no, opening like no, that. No. You watch the director's cut and it's never tear us apart by an excess and yeah. it just changes. It just changes the tone of the film. Yeah. Whereas, you know, with The Killing Moon, you've got like, you know, the guitar chime in, you know, away to begin with. Yeah. To the director's cut, we've got this lush orchestration of this fabulous song and it just doesn't suit it. It just doesn't suit it at all. And, you know, yeah. I, I get when, when it's like, it's the old, I think we, we, we're slightly bruised with certain director's cuts because, you know, some of them are brilliant. 
Um, James Cameron's James, I, Aliens. Aliens, right, is the pinnacle as far as I'm concerned. There's very, very few director's cuts. The Lord of the Rings director's cuts are the definitive versions of the films as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, yes, they may be nearly four hours long in the case of The Return of the King, but they are tremendous. They're way, as brilliant as they are, those films are, the director's cuts are amazing they are genuinely amazing well it's the complete vision you get don't you you get in, in that, that kit you get his complete yeah. vision yeah and this is where the director's cut of this film sullies almost because yes he could go back he could improve special effects i totally get that but changing yeah. the soundtrack and pacing of the film because you can i don't think necessarily suits and yes george lucas i am mm. talking to you do you know Oh no, no! I could we could do an entire show on um, George Lucas's idea. Why do people let George Lucas loose on things? Why? Why do they let him loose? Um, well, this is the thing. I, I don't, I don't. I, look, I, I get that he wanted to go back and he wanted to change um, certain special effects. I get that. I do get it. If it's going to improve the overall look of a film, then fair enough. But then. Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh... it's 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 to me. It, it, there's one very telling thing about those three films is Empire Strikes Back is the one that was touched up the least. Yeah. The only the only elements that were changed slightly was Cloud City. Yeah. And the attack at at, at attack. Okay, <laughs> well Christ. said. You got that. <laughs> well, well, you get in there. Um. <laughs> This one, um, he changed. Um, he got rid of the obvious um, model. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, like yeah. the black, the black outline. Yeah, he, the matte, got rid the matte of stuff. Yeah, the matte, the matte stuff. He got rid of that slightly. Whereas when you look at a New Hope and you look at Return of the Jedi, there was an awful lot added to it. Yeah. and you know, a, a massive camel thing walking past the screen wasn't necessary the jab of no. the hat wasn't necessary no this this the, the band sequence in return of the jedi oh. the skin crawl oh. Oh. <laughs> oh why oh i see, see yeah. but anyway, anyway aliens aliens is the best director's cut ever now um coming back to this I thought the yes. soundtrack for the in the in the theater in the theatrical cut was excellent and i like echo oh. and the bunny men i think they are a superb band i think they're absolutely superb um but there is, I think, if you play around with music and pacing and whatever, it does change your film and it damages it. Yeah. It you know, yeah. it, it it completely kills it. But yeah. getting back to the positive side on you, I think you know we talked about Patrick Swayze at the beginning of yeah. this, and I think this is one of his best performances because he takes. Everything that made Patrick Swayze the all you know the all singing all dancing hero, and it yeah. totally it changes it turns it on its head. It, it I think his performance is excellent in it. Did you, I don't know whether you are aware of this, but when they were um, casting and everything, they went to Patrick Swayze and he gave him a script. He said, "Look, we want you for this part." So they were talking about it, talking about it. And in the script, there was the infomercial about... Yeah, yeah. Um, right? That was filmed in Patrick Swayze's garden. Well, this is the other... No, the clothes that he wears. His wife dug them out of the wardrobe. They're all his own clothes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all his own clothes. She, she kept, they kept all of his clothes from, you know, throughout the 80s and everything. 
And whilst they were they were setting up and, and stuff, um, she basically came along and she said, "I think you should wear these, right?" Yeah. And she made she was making food and and drinks for all the cast and crew whilst they were filming, right? And <laughs> there's a brilliant moment in it, uh, the infomercial. Where um, <laughs> the kid goes, I'm not afraid anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And when they were shooting it, um, Richard Kelly said to the sound guy, Right, I wanted to drop the boom in. And the yeah. boom's edge going, What are you talking about? I want you to drop the boom in when this woman's yeah. talking. And as she sat there, the boom drops in. Yeah. <laughs> drops back out. But there's something in that infomercial which alludes to something that was going to happen. It's when he smacks him on the behind. It's when he smacks him on the arse. That's... The, now, it's, it's only like, when it's, you go back and you look at you realise how dark that is. Yeah, and it's uh, it also harks back to when Donnie, when you first see Donnie and he's riding his bike back home and he pulls into the street, Frank's car passes him. Yes. The red car. The, the red Trans Am. He has a Trans Am, yeah. yeah. And it passes him, and um, you know it's like there's little moments like that throughout that you see um, Pepper, you know, sort of yeah. pointing in the direction of, you know, the people who are going to be ultimately important. What happens in the story? Yeah. But um, the infomercial, oh, it's brilliant. Oh, do you know it's, what? And I mean, we've, I mean, and again, it touches back on, and like the, the bits in the school are are very real. Um, yeah. I know in a lot of American schools, um, there is that struggle between, um, in, in certain areas, about teaching about certain elements of science and faith and the crossover of those type of things, and yeah. whether to teach, you know, and you know, and certain books that are being taught. Um, yeah. And I think in some ways, you know, and, and I think this is where Drew Barrymore is, it's so good um, in this, is that she's... she's she is that cliched English teacher. Yeah, she's she's the um, she's the one who thinks outside the box. Yeah, yeah, the one, and, the, the cool teacher all the kids like almost. And isn't the it? one in the staff who when she walks in the staff room, you want to go. Uh. <laughs> Are you speaking it from experience? I, you know what? I'm you know I'm going to say this. It's when they come in and they're young and they're energetic and they want you know and they like the kids. <laughs> you just you get a get a, I give yeah. you six months and you'll be hating them all. <laughs> One thing I, I do <laughs> want to say about <laughs> about that the PTA meeting. Why it's, would a teacher? Why would a teacher bring up a matter about the curriculum in a PTA's meeting? Do you know Is what? it because? Oh, the, the, do you know that I, the, I? Yeah. Well, I got to be honest. I think. Um, Beth Grant, who plays Kitty Farmer, is such a brilliant force of nature in this film. She is, she's naivety summed as a whole. Oh, isn't she? It's just as evil as awful as she is. There is something about her performance in this film that you do, that you you, you root for. You kind yeah. you, you still because it's almost like she, you get that feeling. She's almost like a character from like Parks and Rec and Parks and Rec. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, or, or like the yeah. office, she's that. Yeah, sort of, yeah. You know, she's, that, she's, you know, she's not. She's not, she's not even the comic foil as such, is she? No, but she's she, so she, straight. Yeah, but she gets she gets the funniest lines in the film. I mean, talking about funny lines, um, <laughs> I think we've all seen Bonanza. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I was weak, weak. 
I mean, uh, how can you mix know. up Graham Greene with Lauren Green? I mean, come yeah. on, man. I love, uh, I love. There are some brilliant moments in this. There are some moments I think that sort of that try a little bit too hard. Uh, I think the whole Papa Smurf bit and the Smurf that bit does sort of reek I, I, of the of the I'm going to try the Tarantino approach and and the meta kind. Of, and I that, that's the one thing I do. I did kind of cringe at. No. You're saying about that, Drew Barrymore is a producer of the film, right? Yes. She yeah. um, she loved the script, she loved the idea, um, and she was the reason why it got made, and she sort of, you know, got a lot of people involved in it. The entire Smurfette sequence, right? Yeah. Is basically on screen because Drew Barrymore rang Smurf's HQ in Denmark or Norway or wherever it is, right? <laughs> I'd have to speak to the head honcho of the Smurfs. Uh, I forget the name who created it now. Schmurgen Flögen Boschnug. I'm sorry, that was really bad. Oh, I know, I'm sorry, God. I couldn't help it. It was like Tourette's. Oh, I can't help it, I'm man, sorry. I've got a so lot of crass. caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> so crass. Uh, I basically asked the head of the Smurfs, and don't say Papa Smurf. <laughs> I just got visions of this guy decked in blue with a shirt, in, a, in a suit, but with like a red no, of the I, red hats on. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. I I love the Smurf sequence because you know Donnie knows his onions basically, doesn't yeah. he? About the Smurfs, which is which is also kind of worrying in a very strange way. But um, yeah, it I think it's brilliant. But going back to Kitty Farmer, um, the one-liners. Oh. Beth, Bethany, Bethany, if you're gonna vomit, swallow it. Yeah, and this is the bit. I, this is the other. Sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. To sparkle motion. <laughs> and she's basically the only reason she's not there is because she's sticking up for Jim Cunningham and his and his kiddie, the, Yeah, the kitty porn dungeon, which is hidden behind the worst portrait I have ever seen of anyone. Do you know when you see like fan art? Yeah. I would love to know where that portrait came from because oh. it doesn't look like Patrick Swayze. It looks like Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I remember we went um, uh, just up the road from us up in uh, in Blenavon, um, in the Ironworks there. They have some amazing events on in there. And every year they have like, um, they have a steampunk <laughs> festival. And it's, it's, it's really, really, it, it's amazing. You know, when you go up there and you see like the commitment that some of the people are like, the detail that they put on like the, the costume and all the stuff that goes on there is amazing. It's, it's really good. So if anybody ever gets a chance, go and see it. But they had a guy there doing like, um, uh, is it like caricature portraits where they do like your mask? Yeah. And my wife's uncle had, um, had one done. It didn't look anything like him at all it looked like he'd had some kind of stroke it was just, honestly the picture and they managed to capture that in a caricature it was just honestly i've never seen anything like it it was just the worst it's like they sort of turned around to somebody and gone can you you draw don't you and he goes yes of course i can i have a pencil i have paper I don't. He probably wasn't even actually part of. He wasn't even there legitimately. <laughs> I mean, just, just kind of snuck in and started drawing. <laughs> I remember I was on holidays a couple of years back, and we were walking along a promenade, and you always got your people out trying to sell you, you know. Yeah, yeah. Gen- yeah. Genuine fakes. Yes, um, genuine fakes. Genuine fakes. And, That's the you know, price. Doing the yeah. Um, you know, you you Roy Burns instead of your Ray Bans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
and there was this um, kiosk set up, and there was nobody with it, but there was like uh, portraits set up on the side of it. Yeah, I actually took a picture, and I do have it somewhere. Um, if I find it, I'll email it to you. And if you if you can include it in this, I'll, right? I'll get it up just on, for effect, I'll get it up right? Um, basically, it was a picture of a child with their arm around like a horse, and well. <laughs> I don't know what was more terrifying, the child's smile, the lifeless eyes, or the look on the horse's face. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll have to send it to you. <laughs> I'll have to send it to you. It's, um, <laughs> it's ingenious. ingenious. Now, anyway, 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 we've gone, we've gone way, way, way back. Now, we talked earlier on about Holmes Osborne. I th- you know, in terms of like, I think he's very much an underrated actor. Um, yeah. Because he appears and... in, I mean, his filmography is massive he's got 95 credits yeah i was i, I looked into it you know because he's it's one of those faces and we, we've mentioned these previously you know, that, that person in the background where do i know them from yeah. isn't it yeah um you know it's at least we forget you know like mary mcdonald has been in tons of stuff as well tons and oh, tons of stuff as well yeah battlestar galactica um, Battlestar Galactica probably is what she's most known for these yeah, days, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, however, go I, very, very quickly. I'm looking at uh, Holmes Osborne's credits, and he's uh, th- this is my favourite one. Uh, ever, do you ever watch the program Unsolved Mysteries? It's like one of these. <laughs> it's one of those shows where they sort of look at sort of you know so and so has gone missing and has been missing for 45 years, but his wife thinks that you know he's still alive, and the search is ongoing. That kind of thing. And he's, he appeared in an episode of that in 2009, and he's down. He's, he's down as deluded cult member. <laughs> oh, I don't want to be spelling mistakes, but there, I do. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> but he's absolutely um, superb in this film. Yeah, he's brilliant. Um, it's like when he he bursts out laughing at um, when. <laughs> Following what I've written down as the Gerald sequence, yeah. when 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 Jim Cunningham is given his speech at the yeah. school. Now, do you know the kid in the infomercial? I'm not yes. afraid anymore, right? Yeah, he is the one who goes up. He must have planted him in yeah. the audience. Uh, how do I learn? How do I learn to fight in there? You know, like yeah. you know, and it's like, son, um, turn around. No, 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 don't, no, no. no it's good. <laughs> right? He's a plant, isn't he? Right? Yeah, so, yeah. Donnie Darko gets up to the mic and he goes, hi, what's your name? And he goes, Gerald. And straight away, you can see across the audience, oh my God, shit's going down. But this is the best, but this is the bit that I love. And again, being being a teacher, you have the guest speaker in. Yeah. And they, yeah. there's that moment where they go, any questions? And you automatically turn to the one kid <laughs> who you know is going to yeah. do something stupid. Yeah. And it's yeah. going to be awkward. And they... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and Donnie's arguments are quite plausible. And, and yeah. Quite, really it's quite... really, it's a brilliant scene. It is a brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And he calls the, the, I think you're the fucking Antichrist. The Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> but not only that, right? You've got a sequence again with uh, Kitty Farmer. And she's going, put the cross, you know, on the... here. Wait, right, right. And you can see he's building up because he's, he's given plausible arguments again. You know, yeah. you just can't define, you know, things in love and fear. It, does, it doesn't work. Like, human life doesn't work like that. Yeah. And you can see just as he's about to go, and then it cuts to the headmaster's yeah, yeah, office. Yeah. And you can see the parents there. And, you know, he's going, look, we've had to bring you in. Donnie's said this. And 
I've written down an exact sentence. Let me just find it. But he goes, um, I'll tell you what he said. He asked me to forcibly insert the exercise card into my anus. <laughs> and he bursts out laughing and he goes, <coughs> <coughs> and you can see Donnie's mother is cool as a cucumber. She just but, looks across, nods, you know. But, these, but again, when it talks about, you know, but I've been in those meetings. <laughs> I've had to sit in on those meetings because, you know, there are times where you sit there with the head teacher because you've got to be, you know, you know, you, you, you've got to try and show, you know, solidarity and all that. And, yeah. you know, and everybody in the room is desperate to laugh. <laughs> and it's oh. honestly, I, I'm surprised I haven't got an ulcer because of having <laughs> to keep things in. But, no, but again, it does, it sort of, all these moments, even though Johnny Darko overall is a fairly dark film. Yeah, yeah. I and that that moment before um, it's sort of you know the universe is put right again. Yeah, um, where everything you know when everybody starts dying. Yeah, it's a very, very, very dark. It's a dark piece. And if yeah. it wasn't for those mo- moments of of comedy and humor, this yeah. film would be almost unbearable. Um. Yeah, I, I see what you mean there. And harking back to like the references um, I made earlier, like of the eighties. Yeah, um, it's got a classic kids on bikes uh, sequence. Well, it's it? like you it's know? almost the ET moment, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. Um, you've got um, the Ronald Reagan references everywhere. The kid in the Ronald Reagan mask. Yeah. Uh, you've got in the party uh, Donnie's skeleton suit is a, or I see it as an homage to the Karate Kid. Yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. the Cobra Kai wearing it. Yeah. Um, there's a kid who's got uh, Cameron Fry's um, ice hockey jersey on yes. from Paris Bueller. Yeah, yeah, you just see it. Yeah, and yeah, and you know it is leading up to you know an awful event, isn't it? Um, you know, preceded by like, Joy Division, Love Will Tear Us Apart, <laughs> which is which is actually one of my favorite songs of all time. I think it's one of everybody's favorite songs of all time. Isn't that it, you know that, so, and it's the drumming on it. It's the drumming on it. It is superb. I could bore the tits off you about the production of that album, but I'm oh, not yeah. going to. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, and then it's building up then to the the, the um, you know which has been foreshadowed already with the Graham Greene short story, isn't it? Um, yeah. About the robbing of the house, and you know they can actually catch in two people in the act of burgling it, aren't they? Yeah, you know, but they they go in there for other means, and then as a result of them going, um, Gretchen gets run over, and then Donnie takes as far as taken his father's gun, and then kills Frank. Yeah, you know, it shoots him in the eye, which you know he proceeded to show previously when Frank took the mask off, and you know the damage to his eye. Yeah. Um, so it, like it's like it harks back to what I was saying. Everything is sort of foreshadowed as to what is going to happen to certain people. Um, that's saying about when Frank takes the mask off the the, the Evil Dead the, watching the yeah, Evil yeah, Dead in the yeah, cinema. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned earlier about Sam Raimi. Yeah. Um, ori- originally, the film they wanted to show was Chud. Nice. Do you remember nice. Chud? Nice. And the Ca- sequel, Bud the Chud. Chud. Chud the Bud or Bud the Chud? Bud the it? Chud yeah. too. Yeah. Um, they, they they wanted to use Chud, but for whatever reason, they couldn't get their hands on it. Um, but they, they the asked, say, sa- yeah, <laughs> I hadn't seen it. I remember the video cover vividly as a kid. It's and a great, it's a great film. 
And um, funny enough, on JoeBlow.com yesterday or the day before, um, they actually put um, off. They've got a sequence on they call "Awfully Bad," yeah. and they actually they actually did like a re-review of uh, Ched, and um, there was a couple of clips on it. So I had a quick look, and um, yeah. So anyway, they couldn't get Ched. Yeah, they were so they approached Sam Raimi, and he's like, "Hi, you know, I'm making my debut film. Yeah. Um, I'd like to use Evil Dead if I can in this sequence. Explain what happened." Sam Raimi said, "Absolutely no problem whatsoever. You do that." And in fact, with that sequence, you, I'll allow you to manipulate the film on screen. So when you know when Donnie has his, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Awake, uh, his, his moment of seeing yeah. Jim Cameron's house, yeah. Sam Raimi actively encouraged his film to be digitally altered in order for the film to progress. Yeah. It's... And I thought, I thought to myself, that's really quite cool, isn't it? You know? It is. Because you know... you're encouraging that, that young filmmaker, you know. And um, he said, we had double bill that film at his own mind. It's Evil, Evil yeah. Dead and the Last Temptation of Christ. See, I mean, the two two opposite, but two very good films. Two oh yeah, really good films. I'm not saying otherwise, you know. I mean, you'd be might... thoroughly depressed after you know after you know <laughs> if after the well, Evil Dead you got to watch Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and the reason he's put it on is because the hometown Richard Kelly was brought up in. They banned uh, the Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. Quite happy with Evil Dead being shown, but no, oh my God, you can't show the Last Temptation no, of Christ. No. Weird, man. Weird. Now, so, with the... So, I mean, we could go on for days with Donnie Darko. We could go yeah. on. There is so much on it. And I mean, what's interestingly enough, um, we got all the sequels. I've never seen any of the sequels. And no. Richard Kelly has himself, he said he's got nothing... He's had absolutely... Nothing to do with those. He doesn't own the no. rights to any of it. Um, no. But, I, you know, people aren't very fond of them. No. Um, I, I, why would you try and make a sequel to a film that itself wasn't successful? Doesn't stop him. No, I know it Friday the 13th them. movies. <laughs> but then I say that. <laughs> and then they make a lot of money. They make a lot of money. Made. Not make. Made. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like we're going back to the Transformer films now. You know, the first one was okay, and the rest have just been garbage. But yeah. people still go and watch them. Why? <sighs> I mean, I mean, I will go. Pro- you know, when then you know because they've been talking about another Friday the Thirteenth for a long time now. Um, I'd probably still go and watch it. Well, I hope you enjoy yourself when you're there. Harking back to Transformers ever so slightly and very quickly. Mark Wahlberg was considered for Donnie Darko. No, it just no, it just no. Ah, and this one blows my mind because it would never have worked in a million and one years. Vince Vaughn. Really? <laughs> Vince I mean, Vaughan. Vince Vaughn has looked middle aged since he was probably about nine. <laughs> I mean, even in Swingers. Which is a great yeah. film. Even his yeah. he looks ancient. Yeah, definite. But he was he was seriously considered, and I think this this harks back again to the casting process and what people's ideas to what the actual finished thing is, isn't it? You know, yeah. It's like why you like. I mean, I mean, you're gonna get Marky Mark, or you're gonna get a guy <laughs> who was Norman Bates in a rubbish remake, a shot oh. for shot remake of a film that was brilliant turned rubbish. I still can't get my head around that. But anyway, I mean, so, so one one thing I must we haven't brought up, which we must because it's probably what Donnie Darko is known most for, 
is what I know as the chapter 13. Okay. Do you know what this is? Explain, enlighten us. Right. When Donnie Darko came out, it went through the release in cinema, it came out on DVD, it had his DVD release. A friend of mine, I'd seen it. A friend of mine said, I'm going to watch Donnie Darko. Yeah, cool. I said, I loved it. Tell me what you think about it. After they'd watched it, they texted me and said, chapter 13 on the DVD is the Mad World sequence. Yeah. And that sequence is astonishing because all it does, it starts with Catherine Ross wake, uh, waking up like in shock as to knowing yeah. something's happened. And then it pans then across um, Drew Barrymore and Noah Wiley. Yeah. And it it pans and no way he's restless and then you know in bed thinking yeah so the, and then it comes to um, Frank who's making his mask yeah so the, these 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 things are things before Donnie's ultimate death yeah yeah and I mean you know and we're talking about people perhaps necessarily not knowing what's happened previously yeah not knowing what's happening now but they're, they're deeply deeply affected by what has happened during Donnie Darko's existence and it, it's so haunting it's so light well uh, not, this... not, not, not light but um... well it is it, it is light it, it, it sort of it, it, it's able to balance the light and the dark in it and what it does do um it it sort of brings together that sort of um I don't know what's the best way to describe it really it's sort of it's sort redemption. of uh, not redemption. It's not redemption. Donnie's laugh. I it's think, the fate against dies. you know. It's the fate against his will, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And you know that that piece of music, another Tears for Fear song. At least we forget. You know, um, it, it's 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 so light and so elegant, and you know, and it's 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 draw, It's not drawn out, but it's shot so beautifully, isn't it? You know, because it segues from one to another to another to another, and ultimately, then it shows you the aftermath of Donnie's death, doesn't it? Yeah, all completely. And it, what strikes me most about that that sequence is at the beginning when Donnie returns home after the event, the family are like they're quite relaxed and everything about it. Yeah, yeah, completely. This, this time, they know they're not looking for him. They know he's there. He's dead. It's unfortunate. And Holmes, again, Holmes Osborne's reaction when he's holding Samantha yeah. is brilliant because Rose is, you know, um, his sisters are broken down. Um, but Rose is just standing there, calmly smoking a cigarette, you know, and it's just like, it's like almost like a delayed reaction. It's like shock almost, isn't it? Yeah. But she appears so in control of everything like she does throughout the rest of the film, despite, you know, it, it clashes with Donnie, you know, she's always quite authoritative, but she's always calm and she doesn't lose a shit. And, yeah. you know, her son, you know, her son has died and, yeah, she will have a, a delayed reaction to it. But but then I think... It, no, go on, go on, go on. No, I was, I was just going to say, you know, it's it's, it's, it's it's a fabulous, fabulous sequence. It is, and, and that's the moment for me that it sort of... And there was a... When I was doing the research for this, I read a... There was a brilliant essay... Um, and I can't remember for the life of me because I've just got got the bit I've just written it down and I should have written down um, who wrote it and it, it's I think it's on a website called philosophyfilm.com and the, when it's talking about this sequence and the jet engine and those type of things and I'm going to quote it directly because I think it, it it kind of for me 
it kind of sums up the film and it sort of and it, and, it, and it's this it says if one reads the jet engine crash as real and not part of donnie's delusion then one must also regard the philosophy of time travel as real and donnie is not disturbed suicidal psychotic but a tragic uh, superheroic martyr if on the other hand one reads the jet engine freefall as part of donnie's delusional thinking then one is forced to wonder if there is actually any reality in this mad world. Wow. That's now that's, that's profound, isn't it? That is really profound. That's really clever. That's not me in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> because that's no, way too clever no, for me. No. But I think that captures that scene. I yeah. think it and it encapsulates the film. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That in a, in a in a strange sort of way, that sort of harks back to what we've said previously, doesn't it? You know about yeah. um, the different, you know, the parallel universe running whilst everything else is still happening. You know, Donnie's death ultimately does have to happen, but yeah, it um, oh, that's that's great, and it became a Christmas number one. Christmas number one. <laughs> Yay! Got, you, you, Merry you, you Christmas. Gotta, <laughs> yeah, we're just going to put this song on now. Put the razor blades and sharp objects away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember this week when he went to number one the darkness were massive at the time yes and the three singer of the darkness being really pissed off that his song didn't get to number one this flamboyant queen-esque yeah. number you know that uh, it was written specifically to get a christmas number one and it didn't happen no it didn't but, happen do you know what i love and again it's a good use of music they used it and i love these games and i still really love them is the gears of war Oh yeah, man. and they used it in the With, advert um, for the Gears of War. Yeah, and they used it during um, oh, his number two, uh, his death sequence yeah. in Gears of War three. Yeah, um, Mark, it's not Marcus. Marcus Phoenix is the main guy in, here yeah. in Gears of War. Oh. Um, yeah, but, uh, his main man. Oh, what's his bloody name? Oh, it's gonna bug me. I gotta have to Google it. But uh, yeah, it's 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 used brilliantly because you've got all that chaos and all. Um, all that stuff happening and in that moment of tranquility you get um you know this music playing and then when i was playing the game and they came on i thought oh my god something horrible is going to happen yeah. <laughs> never, never mind the horde throwing everything yeah. they can at my main man now um they've got um it's somebody somebody's very close is going to die and um it's going to be um you know it's going to be horrible and it was quite emotional and video yeah. games you know, um, but I don't know. But it goes back to the power, is... doesn't it? The power yeah. of the right piece of music at the right time in the right cinematic experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, to sum up, Donnie Darko. Yeah. I mean, it's quite a hard. You know, it's quite. We've talked quite a bit about the. You know, the very. You know, is it this? Is it that? I think it's a film that you can. That is fair to say is open to interpretation. I think it's a film that you need to see <laughs> more than once. I think it's. I do think if you're a fan of cinema, it's a must see. Yes, definitely. And I, yeah, I, I, I would say you've got to see it more than once because you're going to miss no, no, not, not loads of things, but there's things that make more sense the more that you watch it. Um, the first time I watched it, I absolutely loved it. The more I watched it, I've grown to love it even more and more and more. And in fact, in the build up, there's actually text you to say yeah. that. Um, I've forgotten how actually emotional the film is, how invested you become, how um, much you care about what happens to Donnie Darko. Yeah. Now, you the know, first time I saw this, 
I didn't. I I wasn't a fan. I was. I I didn't quite. I I sort of. I enjoyed it, but I wasn't a fan. I've yeah. come back and watched it. I enjoyed it far more than I did. Yeah. And if we're coming down, you know, because we do like to score things here. Yeah. I would probably. Um, I would probably say this is for me. It's it's an eight. It's an eight out of ten. I would personally say, down to sheer originality, I think outside the box, um, I would probably say nine personally, simply because it's there, there are genuine moments of absolute brilliance, and it's yeah, I, no, I, I say nine definitely. It's a nine out of ten for me. Definitely, I mean, definitely. on the on the complete flips. You who be back? I can Hello? hear you now. I just I didn't catch what you said then. Sorry, mate. Hang on a second. Hang on. Ooh, hang on a second. Ooh. Oh, and hello. Hang on. Can you hear me? Yeah. 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 All right. We're back and running. Sorry. Um. So, yeah. You you scored this a what a nine? Yeah. Definite. Definite. And um, to give the flip side of that. Um, wife's uh, two-word review of it was at a gash. Um, <laughs> she hated it, but then she hates a lot of things that I put her through. To be fair, <laughs> well, as, as you attest yourself, you watch the shit, so other people don't have to. Indeed, um, I. Your wife is wrong. <laughs> She's so so wrong about this. It's unfathomable, but. Um, yeah, it's. Um, you should have seen a, her face when I was watching Death Stalker the other day, though. That was. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's. I do. I do think this is. If you're going, if you're going to make a list of films released post two thousand, yeah. Uh, if you're going to do like a top ten or top twenty, I think. Donnie Darko would be top fifteen easily. I think it's got to come. I think it does come into those. I think it does cop. It does cook, uh, sort of fall into that category. And I think it's a yeah. film that people will debate and argue over and watch and rewatch time yeah. and time again. Definitely, definitely, and you know, its impact I don't think can be understated because yeah, it wasn't a massive box office hit. But the thing is, that word of mouth got out. You've got to watch this film. Yeah, you've got to see this film, and you know. You, you, you harked on about um, Christopher Nolan, you know, being given, you know, full back in a Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah. You know, and don't get me wrong, the films Christopher Nolan made, some of them are absolutely tremendous. Yeah. Um, I've, yeah. I've, yet to, I've yet to see Dunkirk, um, but I hear again, it's tremendous. Yeah. Um, you know, and Inception is a phenomenal film, and it's oh. probably it's probably in, it, it influenced somewhat by Donnie Darko, perhaps. In yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think that I think that's fair to say. You know, and in it, in that you've got to think for yourself. Interstellar, to some extent, is probably yeah. subconsciously linked because I loved Interstellar. A lot of people don't like Interstellar, but I, I enjoyed loved it. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Um, yeah, you know, and yes, auteurs should be given the budgets that they require and the films they make. But then, harking back to your original, you know, the Donnie Darko and Southland Tales, 
Richard Kelly hasn't done a great deal since he made the box, didn't he? With um, yeah, uh, Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz, and as my mate called it at the time, uh, I'd be to see Cameron Diaz's box, <laughs> which <laughs> uh, you know means an awful lot of different things to different people. Like yes, you, I but, think there um, was there was a number of people who were disappointed with the overall uh, finish <laughs> of that film. Yeah, yeah, but then this is the thing, isn't it? It's um, I think if you were to make a list and you were to say. One of the the best films since the year two thousand, Die Darker, would easily be there. It could it'd probably be top ten. I wouldn't mind betting in a lot of people's. Um, I think so. I think I think that there's a there is an argument for that. Yeah. So I, you know. Yeah. So you know. To wrap this is, one up, you've yeah. given it a nine. I've given yeah. it. You know, I've 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 given it an eight. Yeah. Um, given that one star review. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we may have to make that a segment. Actually, um, is Lulu's two-word review? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, can, I, can I just say one line from the film that we've missed and we must say because it is a very, very funny film? What if he sees baby, <laughs> baby mice? Oh. <laughs> and on that note <coughs> I would like to say once again sir thank you very much I'm sure it won't be long before you're back on yes well we we do have to convene soon don't yes, we yes we do and for uh, a prospect a very exciting prospect yes well I've uh, um, we'll talk about that off air but we as will, always we will. we will it's been emotional it has this week, hasn't it? It has been emotional yeah, this week. It has, it has been, been emotional. an emotional one. So, <laughs> I will leave you now. Yes, and I've, I've got a million will... of one things to do now. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely have. <laughs> so, once again, sir, thank you very much. Cheers, everyone. I will see you soon. Take care, buddy. Bye. And once again, I'd like to say thank you to my co-host, Mr. Leighton Winston. And now we come to... What the Wookiee Watched. And kicking us off on this segment is Deathstalker from 1983. Let's check out the trailer. Journey to an age of great kingdoms. An age of awesome magic. An age of terrifying evil. <laughs> Where one man sought the key to the ultimate power. <laughs> he was the man they called Deathstalker. Reunite the three powers. You will be the power. A brave man could get inside one car's castle and kill it. If he can capture the amulet of life, he will rule the world. But an evil wizard stands in his path. And to the victor, a beautiful princess. Greatest challenge. 
the greatest adventure. The most legendary hero of them all. The man they called Deathstalker. The last great warrior king. Starring Richard Hill and Bobby Bennett. <laughs> oh, God, I love a good 1980s trailer. I... <laughs> Who else but Roger Corman could bring us Deathstalker from 1983? Um, directed by James... Now, you're going to have to bear with me on this one because it's a, it's a difficult one, but I'm probably going to absolutely butcher it. But uh, Spabadaletti... Um, however, he directed this under the title of John Watson, and it was written by Howard R. Cohen. It stars Rick Hill, Barbie Benton, uh, Richard Brooker. Now, Richard Brooker, some of you might be familiar with his work because he played uh, Jason Voorhees on a number of occasions. We also have Lana Clarkson and Bernard Earhart. Now, the story behind Deathstalker is quite simple. The mighty warrior Deathstalker quests to bring together a magical sword, an enchanted chalice, and a mystical amulet to defeat the evil wizard Monkar. Um, Deathstalker is a ridiculous film, um, and, you know, it's a film born out of the let's rip off Conan genre uh, phase. It's very much sword and sorcery. Um, it's full of boobs, bare bums, and lots of oiled up bodies. Um, throw in some beheading, some comical sword fights, um, you know, and <laughs> some of the wonkiest puppetry work uh, you'd imagine. And you've got yourself a fairly entertaining 80 minutes. I really, really love this film. Um, I've always wanted to see it, um, but somehow I never got round to it when it was. Uh, it was obviously up in VHS. Um, I've got it as part of like a four-pack mill that I've bought as part of like the uh, Roger Corman collection. Um, and like I said, it's an entertaining 80 minutes. Um, it's very much a, a bloke's film. And I can imagine a group of guys getting together, having a couple of drinks and enjoying it. Um, 80 minutes, it, it, it flies by. Um, but I think I can only give it a four out of ten. And up next, we have, and <laughs> um, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, that we've I've had a lengthy, lengthy online discussion with many, many a good people about, <laughs> many a good person about this film, um, and it's Aquanoids from 2003. Let's check out the trailer. All right, my little environmentalist, you go save the world. In the cove. I saw him. Close the beaches now. I need security. Oh, now, hold, on. hold on. What we have here is a hysterical female who saw a large fish. The aquanoids are back. You guys don't understand. I know it's the 4th of July. Just stay out of the water. Please trust me. A friend of yours, Vanessa. She's in the heat patrol. This is happening all over again. Oh my god! Fellas, what we have here is an aquanoid attack. You've got to have proof that this thing exists before they try to cover it up, and you know they will. Come on, get yourself a little snack, boy. 
Time to kick it up a notch. It's simple urban legend. Nothing more than local folklore. Would you like it open or a closed casket? Is this a hoax? Or is it the real thing? We've come here to find out. Okay. <laughs> um... Aquanoids, 2003. Um, okay, it's directed by Reinhard Peshek. Um, it was written by Mark J. Gordon. It stars Laura Nativo, uh, Rhoda Jordan, Edwin Craig and Ike Gr- uh, Gindridge. On a small island off the coast of California, a mysterious creature or creatures known as... The Aquanoids have returned to slaughter whoever ventures into the sea. Okay, those of you who follow me on Twitter will notice I tweeted this um, recently. And um, like I said, I've spoken with a number of uh, different people who I have the utmost respect for. um, All of which are totally become intrigued by this idea of this film. Um... And I'm going to say this now, and I hate saying it, but this film is god-awful. It's just... It's terrible. Um, I I mean, some people may not even stick it out till the end. It is that kind of of film. I managed to stick it out. Um, However, this is easily the worst film um, I have ever seen. It is badly shot. It is badly acted. Um, The writing is just... It's excruciating at times. Um, This film wishes it could be as good as Humanoids from the Deep. Um, In fact, Humanoids from the Deep looks Oscar-worthy in comparison to this. Um, I hate to give films... um, a slamming because nobody ever sets out to make a bad film but I gotta be honest these guys are seriously taking the piss with this one um, it is it's dire it's really really bad and I have to say I'm very very sorry but I've got to give it a note out of 10 now up next we have The Legend of Hell House from 1973 let's check out the trailer to make this house so evil murder vampirism cannibalism drug addiction alcoholism sadism mutilation how did it end if it had ended we would not be here
inside me. Even as I'm speaking to you, I can, I can, I can feel him just waiting in there to take over. The house tried to kill me. It almost succeeded. I don't accept this. I do not accept this! Okay, <laughs> The Legend of Hell House from 1973, directed by John Howe, written by Richard Matheson, based on his original novel. It stars Roddy McDowell, it stars Gail uh, Hunnicutt, uh, Pamela Franklin, and Clive uh, Revel. Um, basically, you've got a team of ghost hunters um, are assembled to prove that there is life after death, and they have to spend several nights in the Belasco House, also known as Hell House. Um, I'm going to be right up front with this one. I am a huge fan of this film, um, and I am an even bigger fan of the book. Um, I think Richard Matheson is a fantastic writer, um, and this um, his book, Hell House, which obviously was adapted into this film, is brilliant. And when I read it... Um, it terrified me, absolutely terrified me. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I also think that this is a brilliant adaption of the book. Um, the film creates um, um, a fantastic atmosphere. It's brilliantly acted. Um, there's minimal special effects, which is very, very impressive. In terms of the cast, um, there is only four people um, in the entire cast, uh, for the predominance of the whole film, the um, it's very faithful to the book in a lot of aspects, um, and I think it's a brilliant example of how to create atmosphere and tension within a film. Um, I think Roddy McDowell is excellent in it. He gives a brilliant performance. Um, I don't think the film is as quite as frightening as the book because the book did terrify me when I read it. Um, however, um, I love this film. Um, and it comes really, really close to getting uh, to capturing that essence of um, of the book. And if you want to watch a really, really good haunted house movie, this is the one. And I'm going to score this one an eight out of ten, which pretty much brings us to the end of the episode. Once again, I would like to thank my co-host, Mr. Leighton Winston, for being on. Um, it's always a pleasure. Um, I don't know where our next adventure will take us, um, but I'm always, always uh, excited to have him on the show. Now, for our next episode, uh, we're going to be looking at the film Warlock. I'm going to have a very special uh, co-host with me on that one. It's going to be Jeff Burnham from Cadavercast. Uh, now, you guys would have uh, heard me going on about uh, Cadavercast because they're a 
Jeff and his son Al um, do the podcast together. It's a brilliant, brilliant show. So get yourselves over there, guys, and listen to it. So I'm very, very excited to have Jeff on. Um, so, and it's also an excuse to watch a brilliant film. So I'm really looking forward to that. As always, I would like to say thank you to everybody who has tweeted, um, followed, subscribed. Um, I really, really appreciate it, guys. Um, it's very, it's, it is always humbling. Um, I love uh, having feedback from you guys. I love talking to people on Twitter and on Facebook. And please feel free to leave your comments on the YouTube page and the channel. Give me your feedback. Um, you know, if you want to make it constructive, that will be really, really. But if you just want to say how much you enjoy the show, I really appreciate that. Um, big shout outs again. I want to say a big shout out to Cadavercast. Um, I want to say a big shout out to my uh, gothy gal pal, CL Raven, to my main man, Blake, over at Spivey Point, to CJ over at VHS Revival, um, to Dr. Shock, to Josh Legary, to Jay of the Dead over at the Horror Movie Podcast, also to Peter, Joel, and Daryl over at the Retro Movie Geek Podcast. Honestly, um, I've had so much fun listening to your show recently. Uh, there's been a number of times where I did think I was going to wet myself uh, in my own car listening to you. Guys, again, like the Horror Movie Podcast, if you love films um, and uh, you just you, you, you need to get yourselves over there and listen to it because it's a great, great show and they are, you know, they're great guys to listen to. Um, again, I want to say a big shout out to Gregor Mortis over at Land of the Creeps. Greg, we miss you and I uh, hope you get you know you're back on the air soon enough because uh, definitely need to be hearing your uh, your great show very very soon. Um, and that I think is about it. So if I missed anybody out, I'm sorry, but um, remind me on Twitter. But I got to say, guys. Um, Whenever I speak to any of you uh, or tweet or mention anything, I'm, like I said, I'm always really, really humbled. So um, thank you very much. So that's it for another episode of The Undead Wookiee. And uh, so all that's left for me to say is, in the immortal words of Count Duckula, good night out there, wherever you are. 